Hi guys and welcome back to the latest episode of the Rugby Collective podcast. I'm joined by myself and James Seagrave. And we're going to have a quick look at some of the Six Nations and Gallagher Premiership goings on over the last week and week to come. James, how are we doing? Enjoyed the rugby this weekend? Yeah, it was um, good, most of it. I mean, splattered with some uh, bit more, more boring games and some uh, quite a lot of controversy though, I think, this week. So quite a lot to actually talk about, I think. Yeah, definitely. There's been a lot of good, but also a lot of not so good, um, which gives us, as you say, a nice range to talk about. Um, we'll get straight into it, though. We'll, we'll start with the first game of Six Nations um, for the weekend. Um, Scotland versus France. Bit of a blowout in the end, wasn't it, really? Yeah, I think France's quality showed in the end. Um, they were just too good, too strong. Um, and yeah, just overall, just uh, a, a better side. I think it just shows where the two sides are. Um, I think Scotland, whilst they are a good team, they're not quite at the level of France. And I think this France team is arguably the best in the world. Um, whether they'll win the next World Cup, I'm not so sure. But I think on, on their day, they can definitely beat anyone. Uh, yeah, and I think I think Scotland are just up it. But I think the game itself, it showed... There were moments which went against Scotland, um, like just before halftime, obviously Fiku scored, but just before that, Hogg dropped an absolute sitter for a walk-in try, which would have put Scotland ahead at halftime. It ended up Fiku scores, so they're behind, and then France again scored just after halftime. So you think that's that's like a 20-odd twenty point, 20 odd point swing there in about, obviously it's over halftime, but in about five minutes, it was a 20-point swing. So... It, that really, I think, took away the game from Scotland. But yeah, very, very good performance from France. And the first time I think in this so far, we've seen them really at their electric best. Yeah, I, I think the thing with this French team is they've got ball players in every position. Um, you look at the one try, I can't remember who, who ended up dotting it down in the end, but Cyril Bay is literally being pushed towards the touchline by, what, two or three Scotsmen. And he throws the ball back over his head and it's like the perfect pass. For one of the blacks to, to pick it up and, and just dot it over the line. But Mofana, it's, I think. yeah, and it, they've just been fantastic. And you mentioned Murfana there. He was one player that I picked out last season as one of my players on my one to watch list. Um, and he has just come on leaps and bounds. He can play through the center, he can play through out on the wing. Yeah, he, he is really good. He's, he's looking like the real deal. And yeah, there's not a weak position for the French team at the moment. Um, and if, if a player drops out, they've got another world-class player to come in. So, yeah, they're, well, they're absolutely loving life. That's the thing, isn't it? You look at Mo Farner playing, they've dropped Villiers, who scored, is it four tries in the first two weeks of the tournament? Yeah, something Three like that. Um, and they, they were like, oh, yeah, we'll just drop him, put Mo Farner, who's more of a centre, really, but we'll play him on the wing, why not? Uh, you still haven't seen any, any the likes of Jalibert, Vakatawa, um and Jaminet had an absolute stinker, really, um, for his kicking, which has been pretty much perfect till now. He missed a few easier kicks. So you look at the, the, the players that haven't got involved currently and that they have come in. But I think, as we said, or I think I said, actually, at the start of the, to- at the, start of the tournament, Scotland, again, some of these injuries, they haven't quite got the depth of some of the other nations. So they lose some of these players to injury, which they seem to do every year. And they do struggle to, to to replace them. But I do think one of the bright part, bright sparks of them was Rory Darge. Um, I think that's how you say his name. 
made his yeah. debut and he was really, really good. He, he the best um, Scottish player, made loads of turnovers and was really, really good for them. So that's a good thing going forward, I think. Yeah, definitely. And he, he did look fantastic. And he is a, yeah, I think there was some sort of debate about whether he should be in, in the squad or not, mainly from people on the side of he should definitely be in the in the side. And yeah, he definitely just cemented his uh, himself in there, I think, with, with that performance. So yeah, exciting things to to come from him. Um, there was a video that surfaced, wasn't there, about Finn Russell's work rate. Um, I think he took quite a hit for that, and probably rightly so. Um, if you've got even one player not quite sort of playing 100%, trying to get himself back in the line and stop the attack, a French side are just going to absolutely exploit that, aren't they? And, and well, that's how the first try came about. So it's, yeah, you, you see videos like that and it really does let a player like Finn down because he is such a, a maverick, sort of exciting, sort of on-the-go on player that just doesn't always have the, have the whole complete game to him. No, I think that is one of those things which uh, is, is part of his game. I don't think it's anything new, but I think that video really highlighted it. There was literally no effort at all for him to get back after Dupont made the initial break. Um, I think what also highlighted it even more was it was his kick and it was quite a poor kick. Uh, it wasn't contestable and Dupont then had the freedom to run back back at them. But yeah, and then I think the video I show, show, uh, saw showed the analysis where if he'd worked back, the gap through uh, where the, the, the lock scored in the end, I think it's Willemsey or however you say his name, uh, he could have been there to fill that gap and not even necessarily have scored it, uh, to completely stop the try, but it, it would have been nice. And I think, I think especially if you watch Marcus Smith, um, especially against Wales, but in every game, you, you get these maverick players who, who Smith gets likened to Finn Russell quite a lot. But Smith is always there, you get him back, helping defensively. But quite often you see it with these players, which with Finn Russell, a bit with Cipriani, they do they do shirk their tackles a bit, which I think um, yeah, is it just shows how good a player Smith is and uh, how high his potential is that he he's willing to get in, get dirty with it. That sounds weird. But yeah, he's willing to get that's the headline. Finn gets dirty with it. Yeah. There we go. Smith works. <laughs> but yeah, I think I think it is a damning one. Uh, the other, other maybe bit of controversy was the Jaminet. Uh Well, some people said red, some people said yellow. Was only given as a penalty. Kind of jumps into Sam Skinner. Um, and rather than catching the ball, head, headers the ball effectively on, up the pitch. I mean, it worked nicely. I think Pernod was in to score a try had it not been brought back. But um, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, it, it, my initial thoughts whilst I was walking around Twickenham with a with a big pasty and a and a pint, um, <laughs> <laughs> proper armchair fan, um, strolling around was, I think he was lucky to get away with nothing. And um, for me, the thing that lets him down is his arm, the movement of his arms actually push out, um, rather than sort of collect if. For me, if and this might just be me being a bit of a, a wimp when I go into collisions, my arms would tuck in to sort of protect myself, I think, whereas his sort of push out. Um, and I think that let him down because the push out goes straight to the face of, of I think it was Skinner, wasn't it? You said, yeah. um, so for me, that was a little bit 
let him down. But I can I completely see both sides, and it's one of those calls where I don't think you can really complain either way. Yeah, I think for me, if you watch, there was the one angle from the side where like the ball was coming from, and if you watch Jaminet, he's got his eyes on the ball to the very last second, then realizes, oh crap, Skinner's right there, um, and then kind of brings his arms to try and protect himself a little bit. Um, so I think for me, it, I think Dixon got it right. Um, I know a lot of people said uh, he bottled it on his first big international, uh, first, I think it was his first Six Nations game, and then people are saying he bottled it, didn't want to make the big decision. But for me, I think it didn't need to be a yellow card. I don't think it was particularly dangerous. Had Jaminet like fully like either shoulder to Skinner's head or head on head, then I think it probably, yeah, deserves a yellow or potentially even a red. But I don't think it was particularly reckless. Um, and I think, yeah, I think he was, it was an honest attempt to make, try and play the ball. So for me, yeah. I think, I think he actually got that one right. Yeah, I'd be inclined to agree with that. I, I certainly don't have like sort of massive strong feelings either way on that one. Um, so I wouldn't be too upset with, with that decision. Um, there was uh, a couple of other big refereeing decisions um, in the Six Nations uh, this weekend. But I think we'll cover that a little bit later, especially when we go through. Uh, and, and review the Ireland-Italy game. Um, but yes, really strong performance from France. Quite disappointed in the eyes of Scotland. Two losses on the bounce now. Um, yeah. I think for Scotland, you're looking at it, and after such a big, encouraging start against England, to then lose two in a row, their championship's dead. Um, uh, I mean, they can still aim for their highest position, but realistically when they beat England there was talks of oh could they finally win the Six Nations that's obviously not going to happen now and yeah I think to get bullied by France like that kind of showed uh where yeah they're, they're not quite at that highest highest level yeah and I, I think the the worrying thing for them is they 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 were outclassed weren't they really um I, I suppose that's not a detriment to Scotland. I think that's more in praise to France with the way that they played. Um, and, and you're looking at France, who are one of the best teams in the world at the moment, and then Scotland, who are emerging to be one of their competitors in the Six Nations. Um, and I think that shows quite that difference um, at, at that stage. The French support was absolutely crazy. I was, I was blown away. It was the best travelling support I think I've seen in the Six Nations. Um Half of the stadium seemed to be French supporters. At the end, when France won, the French national anthem being sung was mad. Um, I was really because it's not really one you expect them to go necessarily up, up to to Scotland to go and watch that game. But yeah, the French support was crazy. So I think just the whole feel around French rugby right now is really in a good place. Yeah, definitely. And, and why wouldn't it be with the with the club game and the, the national team going going quite as well as they are. So, yeah, that, that really puts France in the driving seat the rest of the tournament as well, doesn't it? Um, but yeah. the, the other game on the Saturday, a little bit closer, England versus Wales. Um, not quite the, the quality of rugby on show in this one, but a, a close fought competition um, in, in that. I, for me, and I've watched this twice now, so when I was, when I was there and back again... Um, when I got home, um, even though it wasn't the quality of, that we're used to seeing, the sort of aggression and veracity of it felt like a proper Six Nations England versus Wales match to me. Um, there wasn't the the really expansive, exciting rugby that was constantly free flowing through the 
through the whole fixture. But what there was is proper work rate from both sides, huge collisions. Um, yeah, it felt like a gritty Six Nations game again, rather than just a, a, an England versus Wales. It felt like a proper gritty, both teams wanted to get the win, a bit niggly. Do you know what I mean? That, that sort of fixture to me. Yeah, I think that's always the way with England-Wales. I think it, of all the teams, you said at the start of the Six Nations, who do you want to beat the most out of the, the other five teams? It's Wales. Um, there really is that rivalry there um, between the two nations. But yeah, I think for me, more so than you, because obviously you were at Twickenham and only got to see bits of the France game. Um, but when you watch the France game, then immediately watch this game, it left me a bit flat because you saw the quality and some of the some of the tries France scored were unbelievable. And then you watch this game and you look at it and it just felt like two very average sides. Um, neither of them looks even as good as Scotland, I wouldn't say. Um, and obviously Wales beat Scotland, but I mean, Scotland didn't perform well on the day. But yeah, these two sides, didn't. it didn't feel like a big clash. Like in, in years gone by when you've had the Six Nations, these have been, it's been one of the best games because it, it is realistically two of the best nations in the world at times um, playing against each other. And, and quite often it's decided championships. But yeah, this this felt a long way off that. Um, I didn't think either team were particularly good. I mean, and other years, I think as well, for England, it shows where Wales are with this current squad with obviously injuries and stuff. Because normally even a narrow win over uh, Wales feels like a really big result for England, where this kind of felt like a bit of a disappointment. Um, got the job done, but only just and... And it wasn't really convincing at all. So, yeah, I, I think amongst that though, there was a lot of um, there were some individual performances which were which were very yeah. good. Um, I think a few players that we sort of picked out, uh, Courtney Laws went pretty well. Maro Atoje was probably my man of the match. Um, I thought Freddie Stewart had a really good game. Um, looked incredibly strong, uh, especially in the air. Um, and then I thought Cuthbert played pretty well. Bigger was yeah. fairly consistent too. Um, thought Beard was pretty good, just sort of quietly. Beard sort of doesn't get the credit he deserves for a lot of it because he sort of quietly goes right about his business and, and gets through it, through the the eighty, and never really does any anything too highlight reel. But again, very solid and a and a, a good performance from him too. Yeah, I thought. Um, yeah, Cuthbert is probably the best game I've ever seen Cuthbert have potentially. He was he was the one. I think England looked fairly comfortable in defence, especially first half. But um, Cuthbert was the one option that kept making lines and, and 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 making yards for them. But yeah, I think adding to the players you said, I thought Falatau was excellent, um, considering he's only just come back from injury. To play a full 80 like that, he really bossed England about. Um, and then both the centres, I think I think Watkin and... Uh, uh, what's his name? Um, Tomkins. Tomkins. Yeah, both of them don't don't get the credit they deserve because they're both they're they're not the most attacking players. They're they're not going to do the most showboat, but they were both very solid. Um, did their job, uh, and I think both of them were very solid. As we've seen, um, especially Tompkins, all season for Saris, um, be a very very strong solid player in the middle of the park. Yeah, yeah, I'd only echo that. I, I definitely agree with Falatau as well. I think there was one carry where he sort of. 
picked the ball up just in our 22 and he, and he, he carried like three or four players and just shrugged them off until until he got that little bit closer to the line. Yeah, I, I think Falatar is one of those players where because he's been out of the game for a while, you sort of forget just how good he is. And then when he comes back in, you're like, oh, crikey, yeah, this, he is a he is a proper, proper player. Um, and yeah, a huge asset to that that um, Welsh back row. Um, apparently, Navidi um, is available again now. Um, I don't know if he'll get picked because obviously he's just come back from injury. But um, definitely a, a good option to, to have if, if available. Apparently, Alwyn Jones is, is supposed to be... A, Potentially fit again for the the end of um, the Six Nations too. So, with the with the squad that um, Wales have at the moment, and more specifically the players that aren't in the squad, I think it's quite a positive that they can build into these these bigger um, games. I think one of the things which was highlighted as well, um, the attacking structure of Wales, they were playing like a team who didn't have too many hard carriers straight through the middle. Uh, I know we've got Falatao. That was probably it, wasn't it, in terms of the pack? Um, yeah. So once you... Moriarty. Yeah, Moriarty to an extent, I suppose. I see him more of a hard tackler than a, than a game line runner, personally. Um, but, yeah, if you don't have those big ball carriers running through the middle to keep the defence honest, it makes it much easier just to shift along because you know that ball's not going to come through the middle to those carriers. Um, yeah. So I think that maybe that's what they're they're missing. You look at Ireland with a, a Bundiaki three twelve, or you look at Dante who's coming through at twelve. You look at Manu Tuolangi Atkinson, and in a lot of sense, that's what England would be missing if they didn't have so many ball carriers in the pack. You look at how proficient Ellis Genge was in the carry, and obviously Alec Donbrand will carry off off of Smith as ma- as many opportunities as he can. He, he'll take those and and take it right up the gut through the middle. Um, Courtney Laws, Mario Toji both carried pretty well. Uh, Carl Sinclair carries well. That's what you need in your, in your team is some some bigger ball carriers to even if you don't go to them, at least keep that defensive line honest. I think. Yeah, um, I, I yeah, I think England definitely. Well, the thing is, England. Although that you say about these ball carriers, England didn't look like scoring a try. Um, Obviously, they scored the one try, but we'll go into that in a minute of how it probably should have been disallowed. But um, apart from that, Wales looked fairly comfortable. England never really threatened. And OK, they put pressure on and it, it meant that the scoreboard could tick over with Smith kicking penalties all day. But yeah, it, it's a bit of a worrying sign. If you come up against an Ireland or, um, or a France, who England have got next, these teams aren't going to give away as many penalties or any penalties. And then, then you're really going to be asking where are the, where are these tries or points going to come from? Because they didn't, whereas Wales had that cutting edge and when they got into the 22 looked dangerous, obviously scored a couple of tries. England really struggled for that. Yeah, no, I I can only agree. Um, It's, I think, and I know you're going to touch on it in a bit more depth in a moment, but it's tough with England because you can see the shape developing and it's there. Just the, they're not picking the right options in some of those attacks. And as great it is to have these carriers that are coming through the middle, 
if you're always going to go to those carriers through the middle and not spread it out wide, these players like Freddie Stewart, who's wrapping around, and, and you look at the amount of wingers we could have there. You've got Malins, who's been fantastic this season and last. You've got Jack Knoll, who's been fantastic for years. You've got Johnny May to potentially come back into the squad. Hassel Collins, Radwan, Joe Marchant, in fact. All of these players who are fantastic out wide and they're just not not having the opportunity to, to really exploit the space because the ball's always going through the middle and not being spread out wide. And yeah, it's really it's really letting England's overall attack down, I think, not, not having that option. Yeah, I'd agree. Do you want to look at the Don Brandt in, in, uh, try instant? Yeah, um, so obviously ball went over the top, didn't it? A little bit of a contact, blocking, whatever you want to call it, in the line-out. And then Don Brandt grabs it off the back of a Wales line out and, and, and goes in. I'll let you discuss it a little bit um, more. What, what are your sort of thoughts on it? So, firstly, the finish by Don Brandt is insane. Um, great tackle on him, but to get that ball over just shows his, his, his quality, I think. Yeah, so basically, Elias then throws it. It looks like an overthrow at first because nobody goes up for it. Um, Adam Beard uh, kind of gets lifted, half lifted, nowhere near the ball. Don Brandt gets a, gets well, throws straight to him and he scores a great try. Um, and I think what benefited England is that it already happened once in the game already, I believe, um, where Wales just not hadn't got a man up um, and, and, and the ball had been turned over. But I think in this instance, if you actually watch it, Maro Atoje bumps into Adam Beard, which puts him off balance, which means his lifters can't get him up. Obviously, that's an obstruction in the line out should have been ruled out, um, but it's not been picked up. Um, and the refereeing in the game overall was pretty terrible. I think university, everyone's come out of the game and said the refereeing was very, very poor. Um, but yeah, I think I think it's one that they definitely missed there. Yeah, I'd, I'd probably agree. There was also a tackle on um, Cuthbert as well, which looked like a bit of a shoulder to the head, which was actually picked up by uh, Rassi Erasmus, where, where he posted it on Twitter in an ironic fashion. Um, again, it looks like with the angle that it was shown from, you can't, it's nothing sort of conclusive, but it looks pretty much like um, it's, a, it's a high shoulder uh, to the sort of chin, at least, of Cuthbert. So again, not looked at. Um, the breakdown's always going to be different rulings, different referees. Um, yeah, I, I sort of agree. It was it was curious decision making from from the referee, and it, it led to a, a bit of an interesting um, encounter. But yeah, it... yeah, the game just had. I think that's partially why the game had no flow to it because the referee could wouldn't allow it to have any flow. Um, it was so choppy, changey. There was didn't seem to be any consistency. And yeah, I think I think that's the thing as well. He was just bad overall. It wasn't particularly for one team or the other. It was just generally poor quality refereeing. Um, which, and I think as well, when you look at, I think it's also the inconsistency, which has been, this has been for a long time, but you look at certain tackles or certain things and how they're refereed in the international stage. If you took that back to the premiership, generally it's cards, yellow or red cards, but they don't seem to be as, as um, likely to give them in the international, whether that's because they don't want to, because it does ruin games if you give red cards, 
obviously it means one team's much more on the back foot. But yeah, I, I can't see how you can't keep it consistent across um, international and club level rugby. Yeah, and it's, it's literally the frustration with it being from one referee to another um, is, is incredibly, incredibly frustrating. You, you can never tell. You, you sort of spend the first half an hour of a game or at least maybe even the first half sort of trying to work out how the ref is going to officiate the breakdown or how the ref is going to go about sort of certain things in and around the game. And just when you think you've got it and you and you learn that and you're you're sort of familiar with how they're refing, the next week you'll play with a completely different ref who, who views the law in a completely different um different way. It's almost impossible yes. to, to go about sort of reading it and, and playing your, your game on the line when every ref's going to be different. Well, I think that's where Etoje struggles because one week he is man of the match and the next week he's being pinged left, right and centre because there is no consistency there. Um, and because he plays his game right on the edge, sometimes he, he ends up... Uh, refs don't like it. So I think I think Etoje is one, a great example of that, of the inconsistencies. But I also think you look at the Courtney Laws right at the end where it's a knock-on, um, and he's there's no way he's ever catching that ball. Um, and so I think in the premiership all day, he's reached out, he's gone for the ball one-handed, like reached out one-handed, hit the ball one-handed, and there's no way he's ever catching it. Surely in the I, I believe if that'd be in the premiership, he would have got a yellow card for that. But yeah, and that's exactly it. But then it wouldn't surprise me if some other refs would give that as a not deliberate knock-on and just ended the game anyway. Yeah, I don't know. So it's just, yeah. And, and to be honest, we've seen some sort of uh, coaches and DORs and things come out. Obviously saw Richards come out and he, he's got himself a, a three-match fine for it. Um, I know Di Steve Diamond came out and said similar. Um, it's something that's growing and it's not just an opinion thing anymore. It's almost like it's a, it's a sedimented fact that, that this inconsistently can't stick and something's got to change with it because it is just, it is getting a little bit ridiculous now, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. But um, moving on to a game which didn't have any referee controversy or, or any um, <laughs> any inconsistency through there, um, Ireland versus Italy. That was an interesting ride, wasn't it? Well, it was always going to be tough for the Italians, but to be reduced to 13 men after, what, first 15, 20 minutes? I mean, it was just become a non-contest, didn't it? Um, I didn't even watch the end of it, I'm not going to lie. Uh, it, yeah, it just got a bit silly towards the end. I thought the Italians defended well, considering um, the circumstances they were put into, uh, and fought hard, but the last 15, 20 minutes, obviously Ireland are going to run away with it. Yeah, it is a shame. Um what did you think on the rulings and stuff around the the two men acts going to uh, going to the the Italians? I get it. I get why there's the rule because they're trying to promote players not going down or playing on if possible. But at the end of the day, to be penalised like that because you've picked up an injury, obviously very early on. And then to then lose your second hooker, to then to then lose an, an additional player, I think is a bit ridiculous. Um, 
and it's too harsh a punishment really because effectively they've been punished for having an injury um I, I, I don't even know if it was a red card i'm not gonna lie uh it was a harsh red card as it was um it's, it's one of those that teeters on the edge and i think especially in international rugby it, it, it could well not have been given um so yeah it, it's it's a harsh one i feel hard i feel italy were hard done by but it's the rule at the end of the day so there's not a lot you can do about it yeah no and that's that's exactly it it is the rule it's a it's a crap rule but it is it is the rule all the same um the one thing which I know is grated on a lot of Italians is the tackle. I can't remember which Irish player it's on, um, who it's from, sorry. Um, but there's a tackle where the Irish player has stood dead upright, led with his shoulder, hit the Italian directly to the face. Not a lot of mitigation at all. It's by the textbook of this new high tackle law, in, it is exactly what you'd expect a red card to be. Um, not even looked at, not considered at all, um, and it's just been given play on. Whereas the one for Italy is, is put them down to 13 players. Um, it's not been cited, it's not been reviewed at all, and yeah, it's you can understand the frustration, and it is just utterly ridiculous that it's not been picked up and, and monitored from there. So, yeah, I, I think the think Italians have every card? right to be aggrieved. Do you think it was a red card? The red card? Yes. Yeah, I do. Um, he's gone straight up into it, hasn't he? Really? Yeah. Yeah, I think it's I think it's, it's more chin hard. connection, isn't it? Than like face, but yeah, it's still yeah. You still can't do it. And I think the thing is, he's gone for that old school sort of Fijian tackle as well, hasn't he? The way he's ducked down and then come up into the tackle. Um, yeah. The which players doesn't help your your case. His problem is, was it Henshaw? I don't know, but whoever it was came down like it was kind of coming down and yeah. so as yeah. he comes up if he hadn't been coming down it probably would have been fine but as he's come down he's come up i think it's it's a harsh one um but yeah i think it's very harsh considering you give them 13 players as well as it probably would have the, the result would have gone the same way anyway i think but obviously yeah. i don't think the line would have been and it I just think... meant that for 60 minutes it was a it was a farce, wasn't it? It was just there's no point watching. True, yeah, it does make it um, incredibly boring. Um, after that, one thing the the thing I was probably most impressed with in that match was there was a point where the the Italian eight comes over to sort of give the ref some stick, if you will, about the the decision to to drop Italy down to thirteen, um, and Lamaro Lamaro, have you you say his surname? instantly just turns around gives him the oi like leave it and you can see the respect that he gets from the, that squad because without before he even finished his sentence that the eight had turned around and and sort of marched off as instructed and the way that Lamaro handled the situation with the ref and sort of then still conducted his team and his own personal game for the rest of that game I thought he was um yeah I thought that was an exemplary sort of captain's performance from him. So, yeah, I think he's got a big future. And I know you're getting bored with me talking about Lamoureux. Um, But, yeah, I really like him. I think he's going to have a great career going forward. Really, really classy player. Yeah, just a shame he plays for Italy, really, isn't he? Wow. <laughs> You've been so good. You haven't been horrible about anyone until, until now. No, it's just, I, it's something like 30, 
four, 30 games of 40 games of rugby since since they last won a game in the Six Nations. So it's just it's it's not easy being an Italian. Is it? No, it's not easy being Italian at the moment. Unlucky um, to them, but no, he, he does look like a class act. To be fair, so hopefully we can see that um, sort of blossom into a few wins. Wouldn't that be nice? Wouldn't that be nice? Um, now, moving on to a bit of Gallagher Premiership stuff. Um, this is going to be an incredibly tight and tense end to the season, unless you're Leicester um, or. 10th and below, this is going to be an incredibly um, scary period for you, isn't it, really? Yeah, yeah it's nicely for European places and for the top four. Yeah, it is It is going to be a, a mental finish. There's some tight games. Um, I don't think there were too many surprises this weekend, really, with some of the results. Um, How do I do my predictions? Pardon? How do I do with my predictions? That's a good point. Uh, I can't remember what you predicted. I think you predicted wasps, didn't you? So you got that one wrong. Yeah, I think so. You definitely didn't predict a draw for the second. Got Quinn's right. Got Leicester right. Got Bath right. And I can't remember what I said for Exeter Northampton. Let's just say you said Saints and say you got it wrong. Um, Oh, yeah, well, you would say that. (laughs) I'll say that. Exeter. There we go. I got four out of of six. Thank you. Do our list, list, if we round it down to three out of, three out of six, um, just for now. I'll have three and a half. <laughs> three and a half. We'll give you three and a half for now. We'll give you three and a half. Um, but no, there was, it was some tough games. Bristol with a, a pretty good win over Wasps. I don't I don't know if many of them, many people have seen that come in. Um, Wasps will be quite disappointed with that, I think, with two losses on the bounce now after quite a promising little period where they were coming back into it. Um Obviously, they've they've got a, a bye week next, I believe, as well. So they won't be playing next week. Maybe a good thing just to re- recover himself a bit. But Bristol came through, and I think Tiff Eden deserves a lot of credit because he looked pretty good through that 10 jersey, didn't he? Yeah. I can't gauge Wasps. I don't know where they're going to be from one week to the next. Just as you think they're going to get on a run and push for top four, then they lose a couple of games. And especially this one, you, you're looking at a, a Bristol team low on confidence, They've just brought in a few few other players who've been on the fringes, really, and not really played this season because because their sheedies and the like haven't really been performing. So you think, oh, well, here we go. Wasps are probably going to do them here. And then Bristol just turn up. It was a bit more like, oh, Bristol. Um, but I think the other thing, the Wasps, again, 21-0 down. And you can't keep doing this where they end up 3 15, 20 points down in the Premiership because you just can't come back from that sort of deficit. So they only really have themselves to blame. But yeah, much better from Bristol, looking a bit more like the mold, their, their old selves with offloading. And even with their nine, trying to trying to do his best to throw the game away um, by putting the ball down over the line and letting them have a try, um, they still fairly comfortably won. Yeah, no, I, I think the, the main sort of talking point from this game was Callum Sheedy, Piers O'Connor, um, Lloyd all dropped to the bench for this one. Um, and they brought in, obviously, Tiff Eden, uh, Theo Strang at nine, whether you whether you look at Lloyd as the nine cover or not. Um, they brought in Strang at nine. And, yeah, it's 
it's quite a big call, isn't it, to drop your players like this, especially when you're struggling. But the players that come in clearly fighting for that starting spot, knowing that it's, it's definitely up for grabs. Um, yeah, and you, you, they've not done it all season, so they didn't really have much to lose. Yeah, that's exactly it. That's exactly it. I, I said to you the other day, didn't I? Callum Sheedy is playing like a player who knows he's going to be replaced next season. Um, yeah. Or at least thinks he's going to be replaced next season. So it'd be interesting to keep an eye on him and just see sort of... Progression on him. I'm surprised he hasn't, and they haven't announced a move yet for him to go elsewhere. Because I would assume he's going to go to Wales. Because I can't see it. Surely he's not going to sit at Bristol when he has ambitions for Wales. He's not going to sit at Bristol and just play second fiddle to AJ McGinty. You wouldn't have thought, would you? Well, maybe he's thinking that AJ McGinty will be the second fiddle. I, I don't know. For me personally, I, mean, I think I'd probably play AJ. Ahead of him, yeah, I think AJ is probably one of the probably top three tens in the league at the moment. Um, yeah, yeah, and I think he's a pretty class act to be fair. So, yeah, definitely worth keeping an eye on him. I think Tiff Eden was also brilliant. So, where where does it leave him going into next season? Will he want to be sort of if if Sheedy does stay, then it, it puts Tiff Eden firmly in sort of at least third choice, maybe fourth choice if you. You still deem um, Lloyd as a ten, so it's it's an interesting one for for him. And yeah, I expect um, I think, if he did go across think, to, to another club, he'd probably be a starter. I imagine. Yeah, I think the the thing for him is as well. Sheedy, okay, even last season, maybe at times not the most spectacular, but he at least he was slotting all his kicks and just keeping the scoreboard ticking. Um, and this season, he hasn't even been doing that. Uh, he's been a bit wayward with his boot. So Eden coming in, he slotted some nice kicks um, and yeah, looked good. And they had the new guy on the wing, whose name I, I don't even know, but um, he scored a nice try as well in for Lloyd. Although I think of the three that you named, Lloyd is the most hard done by because I think Lloyd, again, has had actually a good season. Um, yeah, I agree. I think he's a phenomenal player. Did you see the, the try that I was referencing earlier on with the nine? Um, yes, I did, yeah. So I went to box kick it at the back of the caterpillar, didn't he? Yeah, rolled it out over the line and they just dived on the ball. Yeah. Just a little bit of inexperience showing there, I think, wasn't it? Um, Yeah, I think so. Yeah, pretty good from him to jump over. When you play your seventh choice nine, or whatever he is. (laughs) Yeah, it's a little bit tough over there at nine, isn't it, at the moment? Um, Yeah, I think they've brought in another couple of replacements from the champ as well, so... Interesting to see how they got on. But big big win for Bristol. I say big win. I don't think they're really playing for too much now, are they? Um, obviously, yeah. still possible to get into the top eight, maybe top four. Um, it's a hell of a, a hell of a job for them to get up there. But the, you've got to be winning your games anyway, haven't you, to, to get in. But most importantly, I think Wasps will be kicking themselves because that was a really good opportunity to bring themselves into, into the top six, I believe. So, yeah, that'd be a... Uh, a bit of a gutting one for Wasps, but they'll certainly reconvene and, and look at how best to, to take it forward. Um, Sharks versus Irish, 27-27. They love a draw. Irish absolutely love a draw. Yeah. Well, it's the second draw against Sale this season. Obviously, 31-31 first game, 27-27 here. Um, I'm not sure who would be happier. Uh, I guess Irish going away to Sale... Sale have been in some great form this season. Um, and so for Irish to come out of there with a draw, they'll probably take that. 
Um, I didn't really get to see much of this game, but it's yeah, fast, I think... exciting, just about as as every game has been for well, Irish, and just about as well, every game has been for Sale. Well, yeah, I saw the halftime score because um, I was watching the Worcester Quins game, and I yeah I saw this halftime score, and I was like, oh, I, I kind of thought it'd be a big high scoring game. Obviously, only eight seven at halftime. And then, yeah, you see at full-time, 27-27, it's really kicked off in that second half and, and really opened up. But yeah. yeah. Uh, not sure the game for me. Did you see Rafi Quirk's tackle? Yes, I did. Oof. What a recovery tackle that is. Uh, yeah, it, 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 for a nine as well, bloody brilliant tackle. But I'm not sure the draw does either of those teams uh, have a lot of good, but... Did they not um, both get losing bonus point? Uh, did they not both get bonus point tries as well? I, I don't know. So three points on the road. Um, three points on the road for Irish is great, I'd say. And three yeah. points at home certainly won't be a miss for, for Sale either. Was, so. Who was on 27 first? Um, oh, good question. I don't know. Because then it'll, that'll be... Because I always think if you end up drawing having been ahead, then that's a bit disappointing. Especially well, if it's Nick, Nick Phipps scored in the 75th. So. Oh, yeah. yeah. They missed the conversion, didn't they? Mm. Yes, they did. Yeah, you're absolutely right. Yeah. yeah. Um, so that's a, that's going to be a frustrating one in a way for say uh, for Irish because they effectively won the game and need to miss the kick. So, yeah. My question to you is then, before we move on from this one, if London Irish hold on and claim themselves a top four spot, do they... Are they genuine title contenders? If they opinion... come forward, no, because I don't think they beat Leicester. That if they have to go Welford Road and play Leicester, which would look like it if you come forward, I can't. I, I struggle to see any team really beating Leicester um, at home, but I really don't think Irish are that team. I think, I think there's maybe three teams that could do it. I think Sarries could. I think Quinns could, and I think Sale probably could. Um, but apart from that, I think you're struggling to go to Welford Road and win. Yeah, I think you're right. I think you're probably right. Um, yeah, it is, it is extraordinarily tough, um, a game like that. But for me, if you look at Irish as a squad, I think they're building so nicely. And, and yeah, that we've said it multiple times on this on this pod, but... They are probably the most all-round team in the league at the moment with how their set piece is pretty good. They've got a big sort of hard forward pack. They've got a really quick, elusive back line. So it's, they, they've really built out on every sort of aspect of their, their side. So I think they're definitely in that, that conversation. If they can maybe bring in a couple of key um, signings in the off-season, bring them in, integrate them next year, then I think they'll be going to be really looking uh, looking good for next season. Yeah. And also, obviously, they're losing... Um, to a Sui. Uh, to a Sui. So, I'm not sure he's actually played that much this season, though. Or is that just me? I believe he played against So. All right. Because I've not seen win. him as much. So, maybe, maybe uh, they're not going to miss him as much as they may have last season. Because, obviously, last season, he was extremely influential for them. So maybe maybe that's a tactic. Maybe they are phasing him out slightly because they 
no, they're not going to be without with him in the future. So they have to become a bit more reliant on other players. Yeah, no, yeah, that's a good point. That's a very good point. Um, yeah, I believe he was like, injured for a little bit, and this was his his yeah. comeback game this weekend. So, yeah, nice to see him back. Obviously, um, interestingly, and we'll touch this touch on this yeah, a little bit later. But the attendance for that game was just shy of five thousand. Um, I'm sure a lot yeah. of listeners will realise why that's relevant, and a few will will soon realise why it's relevant. But yeah, just remember that number for now. Um, Worcester versus Harlequins. Narrow win for Harlequins. Um, I think Worcester will be pretty hard, feel pretty hard done by not to come away with any points at all. I think you could probably argue they were the better side in this one. Um, 21 points to 29 was the final score. Um, yeah, thoroughly enjoyable game, I'd say. Yeah, Quins were definitely the better side. Uh, overall, their play was better. Um, they're still struggling, I think, without some of their best players. You look at um, Will Edwards. I was saying to you just before the pod, um, they're struggling a bit. I think just for kicking, because you look at, I think Will Edwards his kicking percentage is around about fifty five percent, which is just nowhere near good enough. Um, you need to be pushing at least seventy to eighty percent, really, um, and, and ideally up towards ninety. So he he missed quite a few kicks, and, and you you add on. I think it was a penalty and a couple of conversions. You add that onto the score, and suddenly you're looking at a more like um, 36 or uh, 36 21, which looks a lot more comfortable result. Um, I think the problem for Worcester was they were tactically naive, really. They kept kicking straight to Tyrone Green, and the chase wasn't particularly good. So it just ended up with Green, one of the most dangerous and best counter attacking fullbacks in the league having loads of room to run back at them. And he just kept beating defenders and making yards and yards, which let um, Quinns get straight onto the front foot again after every kick. And and Quinns off front football are one of the best teams in the league. Uh, and also, I think their quality showed in, in the end, being able to bring off uh, bring on Tommaso Allen to just calm it down. He then nudged a few points, just calm it down and just got them to the win in the end. Um, but yeah, I think Quinn, it was just job done for Quinns. Yeah, no, exactly that. And as we've mentioned previously on the pod, um, Quinns are always going to struggle with their star names, aren't they? So any win they can get through this Six Nations period is going to be crucial for them. Um, in terms of Worcester, they need to build around this Sione Villanu guy. Um, yeah. The players he drags with him and the, the sort of space he sort of obtained through his carries is huge. And when you've got players like Finn Smith who are lo- looking to sort of operate in these tighter areas, a player like him to make this that extra bit of room and then spreading it out wide to some of the attacking players out, out there, that's exactly what they need to do. And they just need to, to focus their attack through him now, I think. Um, yeah, I, I think he's a fantastic player and a really, really good pickup. Um, I think... For, for them as well, it means they miss Van der Merwe even more because when you have him and Van der Merwe on the pitch, defensive really defensive really has to like look up and, and think twice um, because they both are uh, such dangerous weapons and you can use two of them. Which obviously, when Van der Merwe isn't playing, the defenses didn't really have to have to worry about that, especially when their backs 
they haven't really got that big ball carrier back with Ollie Lawrence still out injured. They haven't got that big ball carrier in the backs to really worry defensive uh, and make sure make you have to have a two on one. So yeah, but I think Veyanu has been really good. The only thing I'd say for Veyanu, um, which I I, can't, I was watching the game, kind of comparing him to Esterhazen. They're obviously different positions, but very similar roles in smash bang wallet and and, and taking on defenders. And I think it made me think of Esterhazen even higher because Veyanu is brilliant in attack. When he's got the ball, he's so dangerous. But he, he, he slipped off a few tackles and was a bit, I don't want to say lazy, but lazy in defence. <laughs> I, I think it just shows where Esterhazen's fitness and his importance to this Quinn team is because he's everywhere um, and he's really dominant in defence as well. And I think it just shines a light on how good Esterhazen was. Yeah, and he, he is just a different class, isn't he? Um, especially the defensive ability and especially breakdown work that he gets through for a, yeah. a 12 is immense. So, yeah, he, he is fantastic. And I don't think it'll be too long before we see him um, back for the box as well. And I think he, he thoroughly deserves that opportunity. Um, so, yeah, definitely a, a big bulb. And as you mentioned now, the likes of Ollie Lawrence potentially coming back next season, you put Willie Hines in there uh, and Owen Williams... Uh, and Ollie Lawrence, a venter back in the side, Duan van der Merwe, really, really exciting. Um, back Shilcock's had a fantastic game as well. Do they have a couple of Ollie Lawrences, do they? <laughs> what did I say? You said Ollie Lawrence twice. Did <laughs> they I? have two. Put, put two Ollie Lawrences in that back line. We're going to have uh, Willie Hines, Owen Williams, Ollie Lawrence, Ollie Lawrence, van der Merwe. What a back line. <laughs> put them in. I, I, did I say venter? Venters is what I meant to say. Yeah, you did say Venters. as well. Put two Venters, two Ollie Lawrences in, and you'll be just fine. And a Shilcock. You're all good. Well, Shilcock, I actually think has been really, really effective this season. Um, yeah, yes. Put put a backline of of him with with sort of these other boys in there as well. Yeah, and then working the space off of Ilanu. Yeah, I think you're going to be in a in a decent spot next season, especially under the the experience of Dimes. Um, so yeah, not all doom and gloom for Worcester, but they'll be a bit gutted to not come away with, with any points in that one. Um, Leicester versus Gloucester. Uh, crucial game for Gloucester, really, in terms of the top four battle. Um, Leicester needed it just to establish their lead at the top. 35-23 um, uh, in the end to, to the host Leicester. Um, yeah, bit of a bit of a strange one, wasn't it? Yeah, I mean, Leicester deserved it, you'd probably say, on the balance of the game. Yeah. Um, controlled it for large parts of it. But, yeah, I think it just... It's, uh, it's, it's a big one for the league, I think, because it means Leicester continue their, their rise to what looks like an inevitable first place. I think it's bigger, really, for Gloucester. After, obviously, losing against Exeter fairly comfortably, they lost again. Um and uh, yeah, I think it is a weird game because obviously Leicester got ahead and were were gone really, and then Gloucester managed to fight back into it and obviously led at half time, and then Leicester kind of kicked on again at the second half. Um, yeah, so a weird weird game for Gloucester, I think. Yeah, no, I, I'd agree. And a lot of Gloucester fans were sort of saying how disappointed they were with the Gloucester performance. Um, I've watched this back recently. I was actually quite impressed with the the way they did play. Um, 
let themselves down a little bit of the breakdown early second half and that allowed Freddie Burns just to, to really sort of expand that scoring. And there was an incident where Thorley managed to, to put himself over the try line. Not quite sure how it didn't get looked at at the time or since, but Nadolo's put a big swing for his head, missed, and then as Thorley's gone underneath it, he's pulled him by the back of the head, by the back of the neck, Thorley got checked out by the physios, I believe, after, and then sort of pulled him, pulled his head one way and his leg the other way. And I can't imagine when the Dolo's got you in that position, you're feeling too pretty. Um, but yeah, not looked at. Um, bit of an interesting one for me. Um, but what what Gloucester didn't do was back themselves in this one. Um, they took a lot of kicks for posts. Um, kicked most of them, to be fair, and it's always good to be able to score. But it's no secret that Gloucester's Maul has been their, their secret weapon. It's no secret it's been their secret weapon. No secret it's been their, their superpower, really. Um, kicking the ball to the corner, getting that driving ball established and then rolling it over the line. Um, and they didn't do that at all. So if you're not going for the maul, your, your, big, your big weapon, um, you, you're not going to score those tries and, and sort of run over that way. So it was interesting now. I think they probably paid a little bit too much respect to, to Leicester and it could have been a different game if they ran over those, those couple more points. Um, but huge yeah. win for Leicester and just, yeah, just establishing yeah. himself at the top, aren't they? Gloucester aren't ever the, the most proficient team in, in, in terms of scoring. Um, and normally it's the, their defence who gets all the all the plaudits, really. But against, uh, if you're, you don't score that many and let Leicester score 35 points, you're always really, you, you're going to struggle to win games. Well, if you let anyone score 35 points and you're not the best at scoring, you're going to struggle, especially, as you said, if they aren't declining to go to the corner. Um, maybe that was a tactic because they thought Leicester would be able to defend it, but you you would have thought they'd do it a few more times. But it is also hard for Gloucester. When you look at their team at the end, they ended up with George Barton 10, Hastings 12, Carreras 13, I think. Um, which obviously Hastings started 10, Carrera started on the wing. So so you effectively have got no no real centres on the pitch and a very young uh, fly half. So it, it is, is a difficult, difficult game, especially when you go to Welford Road, it's always difficult anyway. So not awful for Gloucester, but they need to get back on track soon because not just their top four hopes could be going, their, their top eight hopes could could soon be uh, looking under threat. Yeah, and I think this this game against um, Northampton at home is a, is a must win for them. And I think if they do lose that, that's probably the end of their top four dreams, isn't it? And then they've got to focus up on the uh, the top six instead. So, yeah, interesting one. Um, but, yeah, Gloucester need to get themselves back on the horse. Um, someone, a team that has got themselves back on the horse is Bath, winning away from home at, uh, at Falcons. Um, yeah, I think think Bath will be pretty uh, pretty chuffed with that one. Yeah, just about. Um, I think... It's a good result for Bath. They'll take any winners, uh, where however it comes at the moment. But yeah, Newcastle look in a very sorry state, don't they? Um, yeah, they, I'm not. I'm not sure where the next win's coming from. Uh, if if you you come against a Bath team um, who don't score that many points and they put thirty on you, uh, you, you're struggling. But again, same for Bath. It is a bit of a worry that uh, Newcastle could put 25 points past them because New, uh, Newcastle really do struggle to score. 
Uh, I think the big thing in this game, though, was the Nathan Hughes yellow. Um, I don't know if you've seen this. Yes. But Nathan Hughes comes in, basically a shoulder to the head. Not real much mitigation. So for me, I was surprised it wasn't really a red. Yeah, I'd be inclined to probably agree with you on that one. Um, I think what one thing we do need to take into um, consideration, not so much with the card, um, but more just in terms of the the performance as a whole, is that Bath are starting to get some of their big boys back in the back in the side now. Obviously, Josh Bayliss was in. Miles Reed came back in to skip at the side. Um, Max Joma, Max Clark playing quite well. Um, Jomo's path. Do you see some other Jomo's passing? Ooh. In a good way or a bad way? In a really good way. He yeah. so obviously Cipriani was back, and I think it was probably Cipriani's best game in a in a bath shirt, really. Um but yeah, he he Jomo seemed to be passing out in the Cipriani school. Some of his over long looping balls were really, really nice. Um but yeah. I think what will frustrate Newcastle is Nathan Hughes, especially towards the end, and well, he won the game-winning penalty in the end, and a lot of them will be thinking that he shouldn't have even been on the pitch. Um, so that'll be. But yeah, and as you say about big names coming back, obviously Big Joe Cocknessiga going in and scoring a couple of tries on his return. I mean, loads of people are calling saying he needs an England call-up. I don't know about that because he's had two pretty much walk-ins. Um, after about half an hour on the pitch. So I don't think he's he's ready to play for international yet. But it's good to see them back and, and Bath building again. Yeah, and I think with the sort of acquisitions, which we'll touch on shortly, um, that they've brought in, starting to, to build himself back up again. And, and next season is a new season. And I, I certainly don't think they'll be in this point um, with this many wins. Um come this point next season. But yeah, I agree with what you say about Newcastle as well. I think this could be um, the start of a pretty bad... Well, I say the start. They're in the middle of it, aren't they, really? But a pretty poor spell. Um, Have you also seen, say about transfer rumours, uh, about Mike Brown, uh, the rumours are that Dean Richards isn't particularly happy with him. He's not happy there. Um, they had a potential extension on his contract for next season and he has... That it's not going to be taken up. Right. Okay. It's interesting. Yeah, he's more than more experienced players. You'd expect him to have performed maybe a bit better, but um, he hasn't. Um, so yeah, I, I reckon that's going to end at the end of the season. Yeah, interesting one. I wonder where he'll go. Um, whether he'll stay in the Prem or whether he'll look for a bit of a champ move or something. Um, back to Quinns is the rumor. Do you reckon he'll get much game time back at Quinnsdale? No, probably not. But that's the rumour is apparently he might be going back to there. Well, certainly one to keep an eye on anyway. Definitely uh, definitely one to, to keep your eye on. Um, but yeah, hopefully Newcastle pick up a little bit more form soon. Um, I remember in our predictions way back at the start of the season, I actually predicted them to come bottom. And I don't think that will be too far from the truth now, actually. Um, especially with Bath playing a little bit better. Uh, in the last couple of games, so yeah, yeah watch this are still below them, so my prediction is still on. <laughs> True, we both can uh, can get that. I don't think we'll we'll get many other ones right, but that could still definitely be on the cards. Um, so 
definitely watching out for that one. Um, and then probably the closest game, apart from obviously the draw, um, Northampton versus <laughs> Chiefs. Um, narrow win for Chiefs. I, I actually thought it was a proper back and forth game. I really enjoyed tuning in for that one. Um, Exeter had a try, which was disallowed, and I have no idea how it was disallowed. Um, you could see the ball go down, and, and the TMO said it wasn't clear enough. So, yeah, go figure with that one. Um, but pretty strong performance. One of the better performances we've seen from the Chiefs this season. Uh, Northampton looked just unstoppable at one stage of the game, but Chiefs managed to, to rein them in and, um, and see the win off. So, yeah, huge, huge result for the, for the Chiefs with that one. Yeah, probably the best game of the weekend. Um, really interesting to watch. End to end, both teams scoring nice tries. The uh, who scored it in the end? Uh, I, I can't remember who scored it, but the one where Augustus went up the wing and then passed it back on the inside. Yeah, that offload uh, from Mitchell as well. Oof. Yeah, Mitchell. Yeah, out the back to Augustus, then the little reverse pass. Bloody brilliant, beautiful stuff. Um, yeah, Northampton played really nice stuff. We've said that all season, but they are a bit up and down, as shown in this game, um, where they were on top and then the Exeter managed to claw them back and then they got on top again and Exeter managed to claw them back. But yeah, really good stuff from Rob Baxter's side. He'll be excited to see his team getting a bit more form um, and a bit more consistency, which is what is typical of Exeter, but they've struggled with the last, well, this whole season, really. Um <laughs> I'll put a tweet out. Oh, sorry. You carry on. on. Oh, I was just going to say two big results in a row then, really, for Exeter, isn't it? it Yeah, massively. And it's just hugely ignited their their top four hopes, hasn't it? Um, So, yeah, it wouldn't surprise me if they they secure that now. So, yeah, as as we say, though, it's just, it can really, really go um, either way now. So, yeah, super, super close. Um, What I was going to say was I put a tweet out. Um, during the game, saying Alex Mitchell is currently on form the best nine in the Premiership. Um, got a little bit of heat both ways. Um, Will Porter in, a, in with a shout. Um, some people just laughing at the comment and some people agree. Um, obviously, I'd be inclined to agree with myself and I'd say he's probably is the, the form nine at the moment. Who, who was the other one that got suggested? Will Porter from Wasps. Um, really? Some, uh, yeah, um, he, he's been in some pretty good form. Only a young young lad that's come through, but yeah, he, he's looked to... Well, it's in the best form in the league. Um, neither would I, I, neither would I personally. But I yes, would it. go with uh, Ben Meehan. No, I wouldn't. <laughs> um, <laughs> I, uh, yeah, it's between... Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Maybe. For me, it's between him and Rafi Clark. Uh, Rafi Clark? Rafi Quirk, personally. Um, I don't think Rafi plays enough. Um, ben Youngs is in pretty good form. Yeah, also very oh, true. And probably the right answer is Danny Kerr. Danny Kerr, also very good. Um, Every week. Unbelievable. Yeah, no, that's that's a very fair point. For me, I'd just, yeah, I'd go for... Um, yeah, I'd go for Alex Mitchell. I just think he's been amazing recently. Um, no detriment to any of the other players. I just think he's been, yeah, been incredible. 
No, fair enough. I don't disagree. I was just thinking of other options. Um, no, that's fair. I, I think, yeah, I know you mentioned it, actually. I think Kerr needs to be in that shell because um, he has been great. I think Kerr's just mm. one of those players. He just sits at a constantly high-level performer, doesn't he? So, yeah, I know. Uh, what's his name? Austin Healy really, for the last two years, has been pushing that he should be back in the England squad, really. Um, and it's hard on form to disagree, but then do you really want Ben Youngs and Danny Kerr as your two nines? Because obviously they're both getting on, um, which isn't ideal for an England squad. And But also, he then gave Harry Randall a really hard time for his performance against Wales, which I didn't think he was that bad. Um, but yeah, interesting. Yeah, true, true, very true. Uh, but there's such a wealth of talent as well. You look at Van Portfleet, who can come in as well. He's been pretty good. Randall, Quirk, uh, obviously Dan Mitchell's available. Yeah, so it's um yeah, Dan Robson's come back from injury as well. It's yeah. You got some good nines. Pardon? You got some very good nines in this league. Yeah, it's an increasingly sort of tough position to get yourself into at the moment, isn't it? So credit to all of them because they're all fantastic. And yeah, hopefully we'll see all of them get a decent um opportunity over the next couple of years rather than just being stuck with with um yeah five to clerk yeah bring him in um yeah yeah that's the thing though what what a quality player who hasn't hasn't played that much um yeah no that's what i was i was just saying for the league rather than for england but yeah i was gonna say yeah but i'd love to bring him in for england that'd be good wouldn't it um yeah we are yeah definitely an interesting one um so yeah i think before we um before we move on to, to some transfers and um, and on to our predictions for this coming game week, um, a bit of sad news, really, a bit of controversial news that we thought we'd uh, discuss on the pod. Um, so Doncaster and Ealing, the sort of two front runners and expected promotion candidates um, for this year, have been told that they're they're not allowed to come up because their stadiums don't meet the um, the expected grade if you like with, with capacity um that the premiership are pushing out um so both of these sides have a ground which holds about five thousand uh the minimum capacity has to be at least ten thousand um the the sort of the reason i mentioned the sale london irish game earlier not even hitting five thousand fans why are we not allowing stadiums under ten, under ten thousand to come in. If very, I think it's four or five teams. I don't want to sort of point the finger at some clubs because I don't know which teams it definitely was. But I think it's four or five teams in the league don't hit an average of ten thousand a game. So it's almost like what is the point in having that ruling? Um, the the lowest for the Premiership football is five thousand. So why is the rugby who has significantly less viewership? sort of not allowing that. Um, seems like a stupid rule, but for me, the sort of main talking point of it is I don't understand why these clubs are getting so upset if that has always been the ruling. Why appeal these decisions and why apply for these decisions if if you know that you don't meet that criteria? It almost doesn't really make sense to me as to why you would do that and then be a little bit pissed off when you get there having not met the criteria, if that makes sense at all. So, an interesting one, but it looks like we're going to have another 13-team league next season. 
Yeah, I mean, most people will not be happy with your take on that. Um, but yeah, looking at the game, so you've got Sale, who had 4,500. Um, Worcester had six, just over 6,000. And Newcastle had just over 6,000. So that's three teams there, all comfortably under 10,000. So yeah, I do agree with you. Why Why is there that rule there? But um, yeah, I just don't get the point. What's the point in the championship then? If you can't get above the premiership, get into the premiership, um, what are the point of these teams going in? Obviously, it's already had a knock-on effect. It means that in Nat One, only one, t- only the team that wins Nat One will now come up, rather than the top two teams. Um, so, so it's already had a, a knock-on effect down down the leagues. Um, but yeah, I, I think the problem, the main problem you've got is these clubs aren't big enough to require a ten thousand capacity stadium. Um, there's no point in them expanding if they're not going to fill it out, uh, and and they don't have the money to expand. So so the problem is that you're stuck, and because they're not in the league, um, they're not in the league system. They're not going to get this money. If you don't let them get to the Premiership, they're not going to get the money that they require to then build and become bigger and 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 get a bigger fan base. Um, so yeah, I, I think they're they're stuck basically now. These these clubs, if they're not big enough, um, there's they're just stuck exactly where they are. Nothing will change. Also, the other prob- point was one of these clubs was meant to come up so that they could get into the Premiership with another season of ring fencing, and then and then have that uh, as a as a year where they could develop their squad, not have to worry about the threat of relegation. To then develop and increase their fan base and increase the money, so that maybe they wouldn't get relegated the next year. But how? But if they can't come up next year, then they're just going to get relegated. Relegated. They'll probably just go down again if they don't ring fence it. So I can only see them then increasing another year of ring fencing, which just isn't good for the sport. Nobody going up or down. It's it's just a bit of a farce, really. I do get where you're coming from when you say it says you have to have ten thousand. So then why are they complaining? Because the rule right there, if you, you said to me, it's like trying to pay for something that's £10 and you've got a £5 note and you're complaining because you've only got a fiver. It doesn't make sense. And and to appeal it, I think Doncaster have appealed it today. Um, yeah, to appeal I, it, I don't where they're I going. The only, the only thing that will help them in that front is the social media outrage that has come out because of it. I can see maybe the... The, the premiership revoking that decision because of because of the the outrage we saw the, a similar sort well, of thing with the, I, the six nations too i thought it was interesting as well though doncaster and ealing were the only clubs who even applied for like that they would want promotion because obviously um it's it's through all the rugby leagues um you can decline promotion if you don't want it if you if you win the league and you don't feel your team's good enough to step up you can decline promotion um, and I thought it was interesting that uh, the structure in the league system we have, only two of the, I think it's 12 or 13 clubs in the championship, even thought they were uh, would want to get promoted, even if they earned the right to get promoted. And I think it just shows the unbalance and the, the quality difference, really, um, and the, the money, the, the difference between the championship and the premiership, which has to be resolved because it's just so lopsided at the moment. The, the only other thing I can see happening is it just, right, that's it, ring fence now for thir- the top 13, other top 13 
and and it's just that way yeah i, I suppose one of the and i don't want anyone to think that i'm condoning the rules because i i don't like them and i don't i don't agree with the the minimum stadium law uh sort of capacity and all of this and i don't want it to come out that uh that i'm i'm for the clubs staying down there because i'm not at all but i suppose if you're an an owner of a um of a championship club and even if you might be in the, the running for it if you look at those requirements that are being set already by the rfu for you to then go up to that that top league and you think well i don't meet this i don't meet this i don't meet this why would you then apply to go up to the next league because you don't meet the requirements do you sort of get where i'm coming from it's like i don't understand why you'd apply for it if you know you don't hit the grades but the problem is i think the structure in place is too big like the the problem is i bet a lot of these places only have five thousand capacity because they know most weeks they only get like three four thousand fans so there's no point in having a ten thousand capacity if you're still only going to get three thousand fans because you're just going to waste a load of room on a big stadium that's not not required and if you look at these figures um the aj bell has got a hell of a lot bigger capacity than four and a half thousand so if these clubs aren't filling it anyway you might as well let let a stadium because i tell you what a a half empty stadium is a hell of a lot worse than a slightly smaller stadium but it's absolutely full and 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 rocking yeah i I completely agree with that that's that's the main thing isn't it if you've only got a 2000 capacity stadium as an example so be it but if that's 2000 is full with 2000 fans it's going to be a much better atmosphere if you then if you've got 2,000 fans in a 20,000 capacity, it's going to be a completely different atmosphere all generated by the same amount of people. Um, my sort of thoughts on it are, what you need to do is form a league in a similar sort of vein to the football championship, whereas you have your, if it's a playoff game, so be it. If it's whoever tops the league, so be it, whichever works for me. Um, they should come up regardless of their stadium regardless of, of things like that, because that's, unless it's not safe and falling apart, do you know what I mean? That that stadium will be will be just fine. What you want to do is give a big sort of money bonus to that team as they come up. Because what you don't want to happen is a team to come up and the same odd carousel of London Irish have come up, or oh, London Irish got relegated. Newcastle have come up in the meantime, or oh, Newcastle have been relegated, so London Irish are coming back up. Oh, London Welsh should come up or they've gone back down again. You don't want that carousel of constantly the same teams coming up and then going straight back down. You want a big cash inflow so they can spend that on new players, new facilities, whatever they need to spend it on to then establish themselves as that top flight team. And then every time someone comes up from that league, that from the championship, they're going to have that standard because they're getting that, that bigger inflow come in. But then even if they drop down again, You've got the improved facilities and playing staff that are coming down again, which is ultimately going to improve the championship as well. So you want the carousel to be within the the quality going in and out of the championship, not just the same club coming up, not progressing, and then going back down again. The problem is what will happen is if you did that every year, the team that came... So say Doncaster come up, they get a load of money. Irish have gone down. Irish are going to walk the championship. Irish come back up, say Doncaster go down. Doncaster then, because they've got all this improved stuff, will then walk the championship and come back up again. And then you're just in a carousel anyway, because 
it just that's that's been the problem for years is the championship isn't competitive enough that any of the teams that come up i think will just get trounced every week and any team that goes down just walks the walks to the league like um saracens just walked the league when they were there with half their players missing so it's, it's yeah, that's a good point to be fair that's a good point it's it's difficult you just need the whole standard to improve and the only way i think that can happen is if the money improves you need yeah more money in the sport um to give these these smaller clubs a, a better chance of getting some better quality players um better quality facilities because that's the thing as well half the players in the championship are, are semi-pro they're not full-time professionals so you can't how are you meant to expect to compete against full-time professional yeah. um and another, another thing is you look at the players in the champ that have come up you look at uh frost over at wasps you look at cotton moore who's coming at gloucester and, and several others and you look at the amount of top draw players that have come through from championship squads that have turned out to be fantastic players the, the quality is there in the championship we just need a way of bringing them up and and exposing them to this premiership standard it's, yeah it's the problem is what you have is you have these level of players but then all the premiership clubs have then internationals sprinkled through that which obviously the the championships clubs just can't afford to have the that's that level of player and that is that level of player that then steps up which means it's you can't compete against that level of player because it's just the next level and you really need three or four of those players on your team and it, it takes it to the next level. Yeah, agreed. And Definitely also, the agreed. problem, another problem is all the teams will fancy ring fence in the league because nobody wants to go down because as soon as you go down, your, fi- uh, your, your amount of money you make, all your television rights, everything just disappear. Um. So, so the club itself loses money. When you look at London Welsh and what happened to them, they ended up going into liquidation because of how they didn't have money because they couldn't afford to keep going down into the championship. You don't get any money in the championship. Yeah, yeah, it, it needs to improve, and it, it, yeah, one way or another, it needs to be focused on improved, um, and given those teams need to be given a, a realistic chance of of coming up to the prem and surviving. Um, yeah, obviously there's people employed to on a lot more money than I'm on who are uh, to get this right, and and currently so far they're they're not doing a very good job of it. But yeah, I think that's enough depressing talk for one yeah, episode, don't you? Rant. Yeah. yeah, that's that's one. Uh, that's uh, that done. I feel like everything's gone dark since we've recorded that as well. Everything's just yeah. <laughs> just dropped and gone down. A little flowers just drooped over and died. Yeah, let's talk about some positives. Let's talk about some signings. Um, first signing for the Premiership. Um, the, I'm going to absolutely butcher. Actually, I'll let you introduce him. Saints signing just signed a new second row, James. Who did they sign? I don't know. Um, he, he's he is Australian and he's a lock. Should, and... we, give it a go? Should we just call him Lotto? I'll have a go. I'll have a go. Go on, then. he is called. Oh, hang on, I've lost his name. He's called Salakai Loto. Salakai Loto? Thank you go for that. I'm happy with that. Yeah, big lock. Loads of caps for Australia. Um, six foot six. Yeah, pretty young. Yeah, he, look, he looks a serious player. So, obviously, Saints, um, not sure on second rows, are they? Um, 
but no. certainly one that's going to come in and bolster their side. So that's first sign, really good at uh, signing for them. Um, as he's come in, Frank Lamani has departed, um, gone over to uh, Fijian Drua. Um, obviously, a t- he's Fijian himself, gaining a lot of traction this this side over there, really celebrating Fijian culture and, and players. Um, so it makes sense for a player like Frank to, to go back over there and uh, and yeah, I'm sure he'll excel um, in that side. Um, Max Clark departed from Bath and gone to Dragons. Um, second Lonsdale has gone to, to Dragons as well, I believe, um, from Exeter. So a couple of pickups for them. Um, Bath have made a couple of moves, haven't they? They've brought in um, Joe Maddock as a new attack coach. Um, They've brought in Neil Annette, Neil Annette from um, Worcester. Really good move. He's had a, a pretty good season for, for Worcester. And I know a lot of Warriors fans are, are really quite quite gutted to see him go, which is just tells you all you need to know about Annette there. Um, Matt Gallagher comes in and Wes White also comes in for Bath. And then Ethan Waller also leaves Worcester and goes across to the Northampton Saints. So... Very Saints and Warriors related um, move about this week. Uh, but yeah, quite quite busy on the old transfer front, isn't it? Yeah, well, it's getting to that point in the season where transfers are going to start drying up, aren't they? Um, a lot of clubs have made their moves for next season. Uh, players are getting uh, have had their contracts signed up. So you, you're looking at finishing off your squads um, and getting ready for next season. I guess there's some towards right at the end of the season. Um but generally, you know the majority of your squad and what it's going to look like by now. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's, it's looking good, I think, for next season. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, so, yeah, exciting. A lot of uh, exciting moves going on. Um, all that leaves now is a little bit of a prediction for next week's Premiership Rugby. Is it, are you in the hot seat or am I? No, you. I had last week, didn't I? I got three and a half. Oh, some tough games as well, man. So I'm a little bit worried about this, but we'll we'll give it a go. Yeah. So you've got first up, Quinns versus Newcastle on Friday. I'm gonna go Quinns for that one. Um, I think that's probably just about one of the easier calls of this weekend. Um, so yeah, I'll go for go for Quinns. Yeah, really struggling Newcastle, aren't they? Um, yeah, unfortunately. Quinns, then, then Sarries, then Wasps, and then Worcester coming up. So. It's not getting any easier for them. Um, then Bath are playing Bristol at home. Tough one. Well, a tough one, this. I actually think Bath might do it. Um, I've actually quite liked what I've seen from Bath over the last couple of weeks. Um, and I think Bristol have, have also increased. So I think this is probably going to be one of the better fixtures of the weekend. Um, always got a little bit of grit in it as well, this, this sort of fixture. So, yeah, I think I'll probably back Bath. Yeah, it should be an interesting one. Um, but it depends on which Bristol turns up. Yeah, yeah that's very true. Um, then Gloucester are going... No, they're, they're going home. They're playing against Northampton. Another really tough one. Um, again, it depends what sort of Saints side turns up and also what sort of Gloucester side turn up. Um, been about a month or so since Gloucester have played at King's home. Um, obviously, they'll be bouncing to get back there. And I'm sure the the shed will be uh, very um, very similar. Also, just giving it um, absolute beans. I think I'm going to go for Gloucester, but that one really could go either way. 
Yeah, home advantage. Um, and yeah, but against a very dangerous Northampton team. Uh, Irish Worcester. I think Irish will probably win that one, but it would not surprise me in the slightest if Worcester came back and actually got a win here. I don't know why. I kind of actually, I might go ballsy. I might fancy Worcester Fair for enough. no real reason. Um, I think they've got Dion van der Merwe back as well. Yeah. Let's go for Worcester. Let's go for Worcester. Just just back the underdog a bit. I think. Actually, okay. no. I'm changing it. I'm changing it. London Irish. London okay. Irish. Locking Irish? London Irish in. Yeah. Their, their record away from home is pretty poor. So, yeah, um, let's, let's yeah. lock Irish in. Um, then Sarries against Leicester. Oh, that's a nice game. That is a proper, proper tasty one at the Stone X. Um, let's go for let's go for Leicester. I think that one's really going to put the cat amongst the pigeons, though, especially coming to well, this is most likely going to be our final, isn't it? Leicester versus Saracens, um, probably. So. Let's see how they go. Um, yeah, it's going to be a, a bit of a humdinger, as they say. Yeah, I think as Saris lose a lot of their internationals, but Leicester get George Ford back, that's a big one. Yeah, um, it is. It is massive. Although Freddie Burns has been playing very well in his absence. so He has been class. I wonder if they might put him in it like a, as a fullback or something. Maybe. Maybe. Um and then Exeter on Sunday at three o'clock plays Sale. Again, a really, really tough fixture to call. Obviously, Exeter have got a little bit of a, a bounce in their step. Um, Sale looking fantastic in the best form of the season so far. So I'm going to go for Sale, I think. Yeah, Fair let's enough. go for Sale. So you've gone for Quinns to beat Newcastle at home, Bath yeah. to beat at home. Gloucester to beat Northampton at home, Irish to beat Worcester at home, Leicester to beat Surrey's away, and Sale to beat Exeter away. I think that's fair. Any any you disagree with in there? Um, I don't know. As you said, I think Bristol might beat Bath. I I think there's four games there. I think Irish will probably beat Worcester, and I think Quinns will beat Newcastle. But I think the other four are. I'm not envious of you for having to deal this week because I can't really split them um, and they're all pretty important games especially Exeter, Sale, Gloucester Northampton for top four slash eight it's going to be a big one it's going to yeah there's going to be massive ones and I think the, the difficulty at this stage of the season is not knowing who's going to turn up in the sides in terms of who's going to be in that in that team sheet, especially starting 15s. Um, we saw Zamet come onto the bench for Gloucester. That has a big effect when you have a player like that come off the bench, um, albeit in slightly difficult um, sit, uh, situation last week. But Dan Bigger could be playing for Northampton. George Ford could be playing for Tigers. They're very influential players, which can dictate the, the result of games. So, yeah, definitely one to watch out for. But, I'm uh, yeah, I'm not too sure. On, uh, on some of those results, but we'll see. Yeah, and you probably won't get any more draws, so you won't get stiffed by that. So, well, who knows? London Irish love a draw, so they'll probably probably draw again. I expect probably. Maybe I should just predict. I don't know who's going to win. Maybe I predict a draw. Maybe I go London Irish Worcester draw. Worcester would take that. Oh yeah, I think they would as well. I think they would. But yeah, we'll 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 leave that one alone and we'll lock in London Irish. But either way, um. Very exciting weekend of rugby. Um, 
tempted to buy the round pass this weekend so I can watch all, all of the game. Actually, that makes no sense because I'm at King's Home um, on Saturday. So maybe I'll just watch them back the next day uh, for free instead of trying to stream them at the game I'm at. Um, but yeah, the games are available on BT Sport or Premiership Rugby TV in the absence of the, the Six Nations this week. Tune into as many as you can, especially if you can't make it to the grounds themselves and, and watch the games. Um, but yeah, a really good weekend of fixtures up uh, in front of us. So yeah, hope you all enjoy, guys, and we'll catch you on the next one. Bye-bye. Thank you.